Morning. If you would uh, turn with me to Micah 5.2. That's page 1074 in the Pew Bible. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Please bow your head with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, for the Messiah, for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to us, was born in a manger in Bethlehem, who came to us um, so unexpectedly. And Lord, we pray that you would be with us today now as we um, worship our Savior, as we worship our Messiah. Um, Spirit, move in our hearts this morning, and Jesus, rule in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, first of all, I want to say um, how grateful I am. Um, grateful for the many opportunities that I get at this church, um, but grateful that I can preach on Sunday morning like now. I want to tell you this morning about a hero of World War II, about an Englishman who saved the lives of thousands and perhaps even tens of thousands of people. He is credited with bringing about victory in World War II and helping bring about victory. He thwarted many Nazi attacks in the battle for Britain and aided the Americans in their fight against Japan after Pearl Harbor. His name was Robert Watson Watt. He was a meteorologist. Before the war, he was working on finding a way to use radio waves to detect thunderstorms. Just a few years before Britain entered into World War II, the British government asked Robert Watson Watt to research a defense against a rumored death ray of the Nazis. It was said that the Nazis had invented a death ray that could decimate entire cities by using radio waves. Robert Watson Watt um, began his research and quickly concluded that such a thing was not possible. But in the course of his investigation, he discovered something else, that one could use radio waves to detect aircraft long before they were even visible. The government immediately put him to work. Robert's research resulted in the invention of what we know to be called radar, which is, stands for radio detection and ranging. He developed a system of radio towers that were set up along the English coast and could detect planes up to 60 miles away. These towers then relayed this information back to a communications and mapping center where people could receive the information and directly communicate with fighter pilots and help them locate incoming bombers. Eventually, Robert even invented a smaller radar that could fit inside an aircraft where pilots could have their own radars to detect planes in the air. 
I think you can imagine how this shifted the tides of war. That the British were able to successfully fend off and bring down many Nazi bombers long before they could reach English cities. Robert's work saved the lives of thousands and probably even tens of thousands. And he aided the Allies in bringing the war to a more swift conclusion. For his heroism, this weatherman, this meteorologist, was knighted by King George VI in 1942, and he received the U.S. Medal for Merit in 1946. In times of great need, there is a need for heroes, for men and women who would rise up against the threat of evil. We expect our heroes to fit a certain mold. A hero as a person of power, of influence, of strength and resolve. But doesn't God have a way of sending the unexpected to our aid instead? Who would expect a weatherman for a hero? But if this unexpected hero had not come, thousands more would have lost their lives in the war. And even, can, even today... But now this morning, I want us to look at another unexpected hero. He is the Savior of the world, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But wait, he was expected, wasn't he? We sing, come thou long expected Jesus. The people of Israel had heard the prophets tell of a coming Messiah. They expected that this Messiah would come and save them. They expected this ruler of Israel. They expected the Ancient of Days. Oh yes, they expected all of this. But they did not expect Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ born of a virgin in a manger in the little town of Bethlehem. Together, let us worship our Lord Jesus Christ, the unexpected Savior of the world. My first point this morning is this. Behold the ruler of Israel. We're going to work through this passage in such a way that highlights the unexpectedness of Jesus. Behold the ruler of Israel. But if this prophecy, it, it comes to us through the prophet Micah, who prophesied around the same time as the prophet Isaiah, about 700 years before Christ. Before the passage at hand, Micah has told Israel that they would be judged by God because of their wickedness. He has denounced the current leaders of Israel for their corruption, but then this bleak message of Micah is followed by this message of hope. The Messiah is coming. The one who is to be ruler in Israel. The Israelites knew of God's covenant to be with his people, to establish them as a nation blessed among other nations. This particular prophecy, one who would be ruler of Israel, would remind the Israelites of God's promise to Solomon, after the construction of the temple in Jerusalem. In 1 Kings 9.5, God promises this. 
I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. There was a ruler promised. And oh, how Israel must have longed for this ruler. Israel had a difficult history when it came to their rulers. One of the most common themes of the book of the prophets, the books of the prophets, is the condemnation of Israel's leaders. These leaders were frequently corrupt, leading the people away from God and into idolatry. But the people themselves were certainly not free from blame in this. It was they who longed to have a king, like all the other nations. They wanted to be powerful and respected. God warned them from taking this path of, of taking a king, but because of their stubbornness, God allowed them to take for themselves a king. And in spite of their rebellion, God in his goodness took care of his people. Following the disastrous reign of King Saul, God gave the people David, who we're told was a man after God's own heart. He became their king. The reigns of King David and King Solomon could fairly be called Israel's golden age. Never was Israel more powerful. But even these reigns were not free of problems. This time was marked by dysfunction in the royal family and infighting among the people of Israel. Israel split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. These two kingdoms suffered much at the hands of their own kings. And the times to come were especially marked by destruction and exile at the hands of invading powers such as Assyria and Babylon. Oh, how Israel longed for this ruler. Considering the plight of Israel, we can imagine the expectations that people had for such a ruler. This ruler was going to save Israel. He was going to be a powerful and influential figure, someone capable of raising an army strong enough to fend off invaders. Under the right ruler, Israel would not be a doormat anymore to invading and conquesting powers. Israel would reclaim its lands, their borders would be defended, and Israel would be returned to its former glory and Israel's golden age. But what about us? What expectations do we have for the ruler of Israel, for the Messiah? We expect the ruler to fend off our enemies. We expect his reign to bring peace and stability in our lives and in our country. No more worry, no more poverty, no more persecution. Here's the thing about these expectations. Our expectations and the expectations of Israel. These expectations are based on what we perceive to be our needs. These expectations are based on what we perceive to be our needs. But we must ask, how well do we know what we truly need? Take a look at Israel. 
Did they understand their true needs? Remember, they thought they needed a king. And how did that go? We don't know what we need. Only God knows what we truly need. God sends a ruler of a different kind. This ruler comes to rule in our hearts. This ruler is the Lord of all. He wants your devotion. He does not spread his kingdom by the swords of men, but by the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. He does not seek to bind people in slavery, but rather he comes to break their shackles of sin. And this is my second point. Behold the Ancient of Days. Who is this Messiah, this ruler of Israel? He is the one whose coming forth is of old, from ancient days. What does this mean? We don't really speak in this way. Um, but this phrase, coming forth, is a word that's often used to describe a source or a spring in the Bible. I think, let's look at the NIV here. It translates the line in this way, whose origins are of old, from ancient days. Now, no one in Scripture is described in this way. In our modern American context, this phrasing, this, this, this word doesn't carry the meaning it would for us, for, but that it would for an ancient Jewish audience. And American culture, new, young, that's better. Youth is strength. It is sleeker. It is innovative. The old, the old, it fades away. And it makes way for the new. This is the way that we often see it in our American context. But for ancient Israel, youth, it's untried. Youth is inexperienced. Now, ancient, ancient describes something that has stood the test of time. Ancient is strong and enduring. Hence, this description of the Messiah suggests strength. It suggests authority. Imagine a big ancient tree. Its root system goes deep. It stands the test of time. Year after year, seasons come and seasons go. Men come and go like the mist, but the tree remains. This, I believe, brings us closer to understanding the power in which the Messiah comes. Now let's take a moment and look at the NIV's translation, whose origins are from old from ancient days. This seems to be talking of the Messiah's lineage. For the Jews, your bloodline, your family, that was extremely important in establishing your identity. The Jews took pride in being distinct from the other peoples of the world. They took pride in being the children of Abraham, children of the covenant. This prophecy is establishing that the lineage of the Messiah is quite significant. But hence the Messiah, he's, he's more than a child of Abraham even. 
when, they, when the Messiah is identified here as the ruler of Israel, he's immediately connected to a royal line. He's connected to the Davidic line, the line of kings. This Messiah is the one promised to David in God's covenant when he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. The Israelites expected one who is to be ruler of Israel. They expected one whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. But they did not realize truly where the Messiah would come from. Now, the NIV is not wrong. This prophecy is speaking of the Messiah's family origins. The Messiah would, in fact, come in the line of David, as God promised. But there is another layer to this prophecy, which is perhaps better understood in the ESV translation, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Remember, we said this coming forth also describes a spring or a source in the Bible. When we consider a hot spring, we see where the water is coming forth. We see the mouth, but we can't trace the water back to a singular beginning, beginning point. Um, in the same way, this Messiah comes from somewhere much more significant. It comes from somewhere beyond David, somewhere beyond even Abraham. He comes forth from eternity. And his origin? His origin is divine. Here's the scripture, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. What this means is that before there was even time, there was the Messiah. He is one with God. He is the one that Daniel sees in a vision sometime later in Daniel chapter 7. When Daniel sees the Ancient of Days seated on a heavenly throne. Point three. Behold, Jesus Christ born in Bethlehem. For centuries, Israel awaited the coming of the Messiah. Israel needed saving. From the time of Micah to the time of Jesus' birth, Israel had been conquered by Assyria, Babylon, and Rome. Israel expected the coming of a hero. And then 700 years after Micah, in the days of Caesar Augustus, when unrest stirred among the Jews and revolt was in the air, God sent the Messiah. Where do we find the Messiah? Well, Micah says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me. Behold Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, born in a town too small to be counted among the other towns. Of all the places for the Messiah to first appear, why Bethlehem? For one, Bethlehem was actually the hometown of David, 
of David and his family stretching as far back as Boaz, who we learn about in the book of Ruth. This is significant and not coincidental. But this isn't what Micah highlighted. In Micah, Bethlehem is described as small and insignificant. By this, we may understand that the town's association with David must have done little for the town. It didn't become a booming metropolis when David became king. Maybe there was just a plaque marking David's birthplace and a souvenir shop selling replica slingshots. But that's it. This town was so small you could just ride by on your camel and not even notice. Just as Bethlehem was so insignificant that it was hardly even counted among the other towns, so too there were people who were considered so insignificant that they were hardly even counted among other people. These were the lowly. Jesus' birth in Bethlehem conveyed that Jesus had come to reach and save even the lowly. He came to save the weak and the strong, the poor and the rich. This child, born in such poverty, is the Messiah. Never has a person so important been born so humbly. His parents could not even find room in the inn. Surely there must be some mistake. Shouldn't the Messiah come in power and in strength? He's the ruler of Israel. Shouldn't there be pomp and circumstance to mark his coming? Shouldn't there be the sound of ringing bells? Where are the messengers carrying the good news? They came. Oh, they came. Messengers, heavenly angels, appeared to the lowly shepherds in the field, singing glory to God in the highest. These shepherds ran through the town, telling the good news. Were you listening? I fear many did not hear and still do not hear these glad tidings because they do not want to. They do not want a Messiah from Bethlehem, born in a manger. They expect something else because they want something else. They expect a Messiah for a shallow salvation. They want salvation from the war and evil outside, but not the war and evil within. They want to be saved from their enemies so they can live as they please. They want salvation to serve their idols. But this is not salvation. This is not freedom. If Jesus does not rule in your heart, sin will. Jesus Christ did not come as a conqueror with armies to overthrow the empires of the world. He did not emerge as a champion distinguished in battle. Jesus Christ came humbly as a baby born and the little town of Bethlehem. This is the Messiah. He is the one who we learn about in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is not only the Messiah for Israel, but he is the Messiah to the world. All have fallen away from God. All are utterly lost in sin and living in open rebellion against God. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, this has been the condition of humankind. God was justly prepared to pour out his wrath on all sinners, on you and on me. But Jesus Christ came to present himself as the perfect sacrifice. He came to take our place and suffer the wrath of God. This baby in a manger lived willingly to die a horrible death for you and for me. The ruler of Israel wanted our hearts, so he came down to give up his life. The Ancient of Days was born as an infant baby because he wanted to adopt us into his family and bring us into his eternal dwelling place. Behold, he is the unexpected Messiah. Dear Lord, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for sending your Messiah. We pray that you would move in our hearts today, Lord, and that we would, we would call for the Messiah to, to rule in our hearts. Lord, we pray that, that if any have not accepted Jesus into their hearts, that they, would, that they would come to you today, that they would open their hearts and open their ears and surrender their lives to you. And Lord, I pray that you would be at work and those of us um, who have put our faith in you, that, that Lord, what other expectations are we bringing that, that perhaps are with the things that we want, that, that isn't what we need, but Lord, we're trying to, to force our own mold on the Messiah. But Lord, be the Messiah that we need um, and work in our lives and continue to conform us to your image. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.